Doctor with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show, we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hello and thank you for joining me, Mike Dork, on the Relax Back UK show. Two quite different topics today. First, elite marathon runner Paula Radcliffe talks about why she wanted to run as a child. Yeah, I just I loved the feeling uh, of running. We live beside a big forest, Delamere Forest, and I just I still now love the feeling of, of running through through the forest, through the trees. Um, just kind of I like the way it made me feel alive. Then she explains how she encourages her children to be active. And indeed, one way we can all do that. Then anyone recognise this? When you are leading a team, if some of your people aren't happy and you get the moaning and the whinging and the backbiting and the sort of infighting, that makes it a really miserable, miserable place to work. And it can really affect your enjoyment of your job and the productivity of the whole team. Rachel Morris, former GP, host of You Are Not A Frog podcast and creator of the Shapes Toolkit, which is a resilience programme, has ways for us to enjoy work and also enjoy a good home life as well. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. This show is cool. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. I really enjoyed chatting with elite marathon runner Paula Radcliffe and I started off by just getting her to give a bit of a summary of her achievements. Everybody knows you as a marathon runner, so perhaps you could just give, a, give us a quick summary of your, your achievements because they're, they're not <laughs> minor, are they? Let's face it. Um, no, I guess I started out with, with cross country um, and I won the world cross country three times, once as a junior, twice as a senior, and then three um, world half marathon titles. And then I won the London Marathon three times and set the world record there in 2003 and women's only one in 2005 and New York City Marathon three times and the world championships. So not exactly a slouch. To get all that going, what, what age did you start running? I mean, did you, you must have started as, as a child, must have started young. I think I can't really remember a time when I wasn't running around, um, but I actually joined, signed up to join a club when I was nine. Uh, I joined Fodgen Harriers when I was nine. And then when I was 11, we moved house and I, I joined Bedford County. Uh, and that's where I met my, my coach, Alex Stanton. Okay, so you, you, you really started young. You started as nine. Can you remember what made you want to exercise and run about all over the place? Yeah, I just, I loved the feeling uh, of running. We live beside a big forest, Delamere Forest. And I just, I still now love the feeling of, of running through through the forest, through the trees. Um, just kind of, I liked the way it made me feel alive um, uh, and the way that I felt better afterwards. And so before I kind of, I, I liked the competition side and the achievement side of it. It was more just the way that running made me feel. So I was lucky in that I got to, discover the the sport and the physical activity that I loved and that lit that fire of passion for me um, very early on. So I was able to, to keep that in my life uh, kind of all the way through. I know some people find it later on. It doesn't really matter when, so long as you get the opportunity to try lots of different sports. And that's what I'm, I'm passionate about encouraging kids to do is just get out, be physically active and try all the different activities and find yeah. that one that so will keep you motivated. Really what I'm wondering is, is, is anything missing now? Because people say, oh, children are now 
children now they're just sort of couch potatoes they sit on the sofa but you know surely always some children have wanted to get out and run and some have you know just been a bit on the lazier side and wanted to sit on the sofa is is, is anything really new um i guess what's new is the impact of, of the pandemic um uh, and that's i think what i am really keen to to try and combat now is if you think about it when the kids stopped going to school and went into lockdown a huge amount of physical activity was cut from their day in terms yeah. of pe lessons just running around in the playground getting to and from school organized sports activities after school couldn't happen so that was a huge impact on, on kids um and kids aren't used to that kids are used to having a steady level of fitness that they're all the time they're just always moving um, and the ones that weren't able to through lockdown will find it extremely hard and I think need that encouragement now to, to get back into it. And that's why it's an honour for me to, to be working with Explorer and their X5 Play Watch, which is launching in EE stores today. So it's a kid's smartwatch, but it's a kid's smartwatch that isn't them sitting on their phone the whole time. It's them being able to call certain numbers that you program in and those numbers can call them and you can track where they are at any time but the kids can rack up their steps through the day and they're encouraged to do so because they win yeah. x coins paul I, i'm going to ask you about that uh, and, and technology uh, uh, shortly but just w one thing on on this sort of covid and to some extent i i think people have either it's almost like we're becoming two different species with COVID because some people went bonkers on the exercise. Some, I'm talking, well, grown-ups and children, and some people went the other way and really did the couch potato thing. And so almost I, I kind of see it as kind of the the real exercise freaks on at the other end of the spectrum. So have you have you sort of do, do you recognise that as people sort of almost becoming two different species? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think what happened um, was that there was almost like a, a pause or a reset button hit in in society. So where a lot of people were um, maybe over invested in in work life and spending a lot of time traveling, commuting to and from work and in work and traveling for work, suddenly didn't have to do that. Had time within the day that they were able to commit to spending time with their family and to physical activity. Um, and then found that they enjoyed that. So then as life is starting to return back to normal, people are saying, no, I want to keep that part because I like that. It makes me feel better um, and I'm going to keep it as a part of my day. And so I guess that's um, just depending on, on, on how it affected people. Some people found that it really affected their mental health being, being locked down and being not able to, to freely move around. And so may have turned to other coping mechanisms, sitting on the TV, comfort eating, instead of the physical activity. But a lot of people did turn to, to that physical activity and just having that freedom to be able to fit it into their day better. Certainly, we, as our family found that. We, we did a lot more exercise and the kids came along as well um but one of the things that a lot of people did during covid was kind of get bound up in technology and computer games and uh to some extent i know you want to talk about technology but to some extent do, do you think computer games and technology can make things worse i mean i i saw yesterday was it yesterday i saw i can't remember that esports are now included in the commonwealth games in august and you know it just seems kind of wrong to me. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it does, but I, I think it, it is the way that society's going uh, and it is a skill. Um, and I think for me, the, the key thing is, is balance. Um, and it's okay that the kids, I don't think you're going to be able to cut them off completely from technology that's going to be there, but introduce them 
it to it in a way that they understand that it needs to be there in balance, in moderation, and that the most important thing is their health, um, their physical health and their mental health. And that to do in order to <clears throat> sorry, to, in order to look after both of those, they do need to to be physically active and they do need to move. And so encouraging yeah. them to move around. Um, it's it's almost like, okay, I allow my kids to to have a certain amount of screen time in the day. And if they do extra physical activity they maybe win a few more minutes of screen time because it has okay. to balance out so if they've gone out yeah. there well, I, and they've I was, been out playing football for an hour then yeah they get an extra 10 minutes of screen time i, I was going to ask about that because your family must be one of the most active families uh in the world how do you ensure <laughs> that your children get exercise and actually enjoy exercise um, I think, yeah, again, it, it's making sure that they get the opportunity to try lots of different sports so they find the one that's for them. So just because I loved athletics, my husband loved athletics, doesn't necessarily mean that our kids are going to do that. They do actually both run around and they do. They are members of the athletics club, but my daughter is much more of a team player, so she loves her hockey and she wants to go off and play hockey and be part of that team. And that's what she wants to do. I don't care what they do as so long as they are active. Um, my son wants to go off on his scooter and do lots of tricks, which actually as a parent scare me sometimes, but he's very good at it and he enjoys it. And I see the commitment in it. What's, what's the scariest he's thing there. he's done? When have you been most horrified? Oh my God. Um, when he's talking about doing, doing backflips in the air on the scooter out of the bowl. Um, that does scare me. <laughs> have you got involved? Have you tried that? Uh, no, not in the bowl at all. Um, on the scooter, yeah, on the flat, but not in the bowl. <laughs> I just asked that because my, my son went through a scooter phase. He's 12. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was very scary. Uh, but I yeah, had a go as no, well and, and very nearly came a cropper. <laughs> so, um, but so you, you, we would, I, I went off on a slight tangent there. We were talking about technology a little bit. and So you, you, you mentioned this, uh, this watch that yeah. encourages children to get out and run around. What is it? Yeah. How does it work? So it's the Explorer X5 Play, which is um, a kid's, is, is designed to be the kid's first smartwatch. Um, so it, it has a SIM card in it and it is available in e-stores from today. So it's kind of your one-stop, first stop, I guess, and before you even go to the phone is to go to, to this because it encourages the child to, to be active. They see their steps through the day. Those steps convert to X coins which they can then play uh, use sorry in the go play store which opens every friday evening after school uh, and they can log on to that and they can um, with those coins get simple things like a frisbee or a, a skipping rope um, or they can save up for, for the bigger things things like trampolines right. but it, do, it doesn't um, have games on in what they sit not doesn't have games that they sit down and play because that seems no, kind of no, counterproductive. No, it's encouraging them to to be active. So it's it's essentially giving them their independence. So for example, my son, um, when he got it, he was able to come out of school. I would have school mode on in school. The watch was already strapped to his wrist, but he couldn't use it uh, other than to tell the time during school. But once he comes out, he can call me to tell me he's on his way home. He could walk home on his own um, and have that independence. But I could actually follow it on my phone and, and see where he was that he was safe. Um, and then now it, it's excellent because it's in his um, it's in his bag. Um, so sorry, it's not in his bag. It's not the phone. It's in the bottom of his bag. It, it's strapped to his wrist, so he is able to answer it and tell me where he is and, and take my instructions when he needs to come home. So you you can track him. 
Yeah, you can track him. And for younger kids, you can actually put a radius around it, which is really good. So you could set a radius, say, 300 meters around your house. And the minute they go outside of that, the alarm will sound on your phone and on their it sounds watch. sounds a bit like those things back. that people use for dog training. Like when a dog goes too far, <laughs> a little bit they like get that, an electric a shock. Like that. But it's also cool because <laughs> they get to call their friends as well and arrange to meet their friends and to have that independence. Okay. No, it, it sounds nice. And the thing about... Uh, my my son, we just got through this with my son. He he has uh, a new phone, and the whole security thing kind of alarms me a little bit. So he can get that's, calls from goodness knows where yeah. or who. Yeah, and, and that's no exactly a, a factor with this. So so with the X Five Play, you can control that. So you put in the contacts that are allowed to call the watch, um, and that the watch can call. Uh, if you haven't programmed them in, they're not able to do that. So um, that for me was a, a huge reassurance. So I knew that he couldn't be, be getting any kind of, of scam calls or nuisance calls. Uh, he could only be calling the people that I knew. And then immediately he's made a call or received a call. I get a message on my phone that tells me who's called him and how long the calls lasted. And is it so cool? Think, does, does he like it? He does. He does. It, it is cool. And I think it, it's really cool that kids are naturally competitive. So the minute they, they've got one, their friends have got one. They're comparing who's done the most steps in the day, how many coins have you got, what level. They win badges as they become more active. Um, and they're also, it encourages them to, to be more aware of what's going on around them. So, for example, they just finished a uh, campaign which enabled the kids' steps to go towards water um, for uh, kids in Africa that needed access to, to clean water. Um, so that kind of thing, thinking about the environment a little bit more. They, there are lots of initiatives. They can plant trees with the number of steps that they do. Um, so I think anything that enables the kids to think outside of their world and to, to grow a little bit while embracing that technology and being more physically active is a great thing. It does sound like a positive use of technology rather than sitting on your bum playing some yeah. computer game. I I have to say, if if those people are listening to this and thinking, hmm, this does sound kind of interesting as a way to get their children a little more active. Uh, presumably, there's a website or a resource people can get a bit more info. What is it? Absolutely, you can go to the explorer.com website, and you can also just go into any e-store, and they will tell you all about it. They are available in e-stores from today, so that's the X5 Play. So just walk in, and they'll talk you through it. They'll set you up with a SIM card, so you basically walk out there, and it's it's all good to go uh, and ready to go, and far less likely to lose it than they are a phone, I guarantee, because it's strapped to their wrist. <laughs> yes, actually, I must admit it's a bit embarrassing. I've lost phones, and I always tell my children to be very careful um, with their phones and they, they turn around and point the finger at me. So yes, that's a, a, <laughs> another, another good plus point. Maybe we need to get you one. Hold up. This, this, this does sound uh, very interesting and it sounds like it's been well used in your family. Mm -hmm, Were you guys used as guinea pigs then? Because if it's only just out and you've used it already, um, no, the, the watch has been out for a while, but the fact that it's now launched and carried in EE stores, that's just happened now. So, yeah, we've been using it for the, the past 18 months or so, and kids absolutely love it. But now it, it's just easier, I guess, because you can get it with the SIM card in, ready to go, uh, and it is on that reliable network, so you know it's going to get coverage everywhere. Okay, all right. Paula, many thanks for chatting. Thank you. We will soon be hearing from Rachel Morris about how to balance a busy job schedule with everything else you want to do in your life. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Good, good, good. This show is called Radio. 
So my next guest is Rachel Morris, former GP, host of the podcast You Are Not A Frog and creator of the Shapes Toolkit, which is a resilience program. So my first question really had to be, you're not a frog. What's that all about? Oh, you are not a frog. You know what? Side note, uh, don't ever start a podcast or something with an animal in the title because like the only thing you'll ever get given from your friends and your relatives after that are things with frogs on them <laughs> or animals on them. But you are not a frog comes from the old sort of saying that if you put a frog in a pan of uh, cold water and you heat it up really slowly, it won't jump out. It'll just get boils alive. Whereas if you is, put is that a frog actually in, true or is that just one of those myths? You know what? It's not true. I heard recently it's not true. <laughs> surprised me. I mean, you know, frogs are only frogs, but surely they're not that stupid. They're, they're not that stupid. And actually, humans may be a little bit more stupid than frogs, <laughs> actually. Because, like, obviously, if data. you put a, Give us frog data. in a pan of boiling water, they'll jump out. If you put a human in a pan of boiling water, they'll jump out. Yeah. Well, OK, I have never done experiments on frogs like this, and I think it would be pretty unethical. But I'm yeah, thinking right. that if <laughs> you were to put any animal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or human being, yeah, what you, you get the general gist. Um, mm. It's not actually true, but we do talk about this whole thing about boiling water. The, the fact that if things creep up on you very slowly, you tend to put up with them. Um, if it happens to you very quickly, you don't. And it was very interesting. There was a study um, looking at the workload for, for GPs and why GPs were leaving the NHS. It's quite a few years ago now, 2016, and they realised that the main reason they were leaving was because of the effects on their well-being and the stress uh, that they were under. And they compared um, these doctors to frogs in boiling water, so actually the workloads built up very slowly and they didn't notice how stressful was get it was getting until almost it was too late and they were all burnt out and then, and then they left. And I guess the concept behind you are not a frog is that you're not a frog. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have to wait until we burn out to leave. We don't have to just leave, but there are actually other things we can do. So we don't stay in the pan and get pulled out and we don't have to take early retirement. We don't have to do all of those, those drastic things. But actually, if you do small changes and you can take a little bit more control over your, your your work environment and your life outside of work, then actually you're going to be much happier. You're going to be burnout and you are going to be able to thrive in work and life. Because I think particularly at the moment, a lot of healthcare professionals and other professionals in very high stress jobs feel that they don't have a choice, that it's either being really happy and thriving at work and being able to do a good job or happy and thriving in life. Right. Okay. I believe you can. I believe you can do both. Well, presumably you're, you're kind of, in, to some extent, uh, a case study because you, you are a former GP. And do, do you practice at all as GP now? Not at the moment. I was doing some work with the COVID clinical assessment service during the pandemic, some vaccinating. Right. Um, but at the moment, I'm working full time doing this. I decided to take a dose of my own medicine and I tell yeah. people that they need to make difficult choices about what they focus their time and attention on. So now I'm working full time supporting doctors and other and other you know, busy leaders in high stress jobs. Sure. So what what brought that about? Was it this fact that it all sort of crept up on you and it came, you know, enough, you thought? Well, I just found that I was doing more and more of the resilience training and the podcast and the speaking, which I really enjoyed. And, you know, I've been a GP for a very long time and I had always 
at the same time worked at Cambridge University teaching general practice and I also set up and led their doctor as a professional program for the undergraduate medical students talk, teaching teamwork and resilience and all those sorts of things and I realized that some of the strengths and skills that I was using when I was doing my teaching I really enjoyed and I wasn't necessarily using them in the other part of my job and I always teach that it's better to do a, a role where you feel that you're really using all your strengths you, you'll be happy and you actually do a better sure. job so that's why I decided to focus okay. on this cool. sort of stuff and I, I really love it all right so you, you say focus on that, that sort of stuff so um who, who do you help? We help all sorts of people at the moment. We're doing lots of work with doctors, as you can imagine, with the yeah. pandemic has brought extra stress and it's not like things were great before the pandemic. <laughs> but it's anybody really who is uh, leading a team and worried about the well-being of their team, but also having to do the day job as well. Because if, and, and I'm sure lots of your listeners are in this position as well. They're managing and leading groups of people, but they're also having to deliver a service like see patients or see clients and things like that. And it's that how do you fit all that in? How do you deliver the day job, the stuff that you, you need to do and also be a good leader and have a resilient, thriving team? Because let's face it, when you are leading a team, if some of your people aren't happy and you get the moaning and the whinging and the backbiting and the sort of infighting, that makes it a really miserable, miserable place to work. And it can really affect your enjoyment of your job and the productivity of the whole team. Sure. And, uh, yeah. And it's miserable for everyone, not just you. Yeah, totally. All right. So I, I, I kind of specialise in impossible questions on this show. So uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be no exception. So what do you do? How do you help these these people that are having to square this circle? Mm. So, yes, I sort of specialise in impossible answers because <laughs> um, I have heard it said um, by a, a, a very sort of eminent burnout physician who he specialises in burnout in the US that that burnout in, in, in professionals in high stress jobs and particularly doctors, it's not a um, it's not a problem because the problem has a solution. It's a dilemma. <laughs> and for dilemmas, you need strategies. So there is not one answer to this. There's lots of different answers. Yeah. I like to help people make a deliberate choice about how they're going to work and how they're going to live. And that involves them actually having to make some quite hard decisions about what they're going to say yes to, what they're going to say no to. And so I provide a series of tools and principles that just help them work through those decisions. So one of the tools which we use all the time and we teach people how to use is called the zone of power. And I'm sure many of your listeners will have come across it before because it's all it's a principle that's all about what's in your control and what's not in your control. All right. So I just tell them, get a sheet of A4 paper, draw a circle in the middle. That's your zone of power. Everything in the zone of power is the things that you personally have control over. Everything outside the zone of power is stuff that you have absolutely no control over. So the weather, the traffic, COVID, all that sort of thing, no control over that at all. Actually, no control over other people. <laughs> Your colleagues, mm -hmm. government guidelines, all those. We have no control over that. We only have control over what we do. The conversations we have, how we look after ourselves, um, when and how we choose to work. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to, I'm gonna get this wrong, the accept the things that I can't change, the courage to change the things that I can, and then the wisdom to know the difference. And sure. the zone of power really helps us with that because the stuff outside your zone of power, 
you can't do much about. In fact, the only thing you can do about it is worry, which produces a lot of stress, or accept it and just go, actually, there's nothing I can do. So if you focus on those... uh, While you're explaining that, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the things that I can't alter. But actually, they often affect me a lot. So yeah. I, I have to, I can't ignore them. I've got, a, I really can't ignore them. So I, I was, I was, could almost feel myself getting worried while you were talking. Yeah, they do affect you a lot and you care a lot about them. Does, let me ask you, does worrying about things you cannot do anything about help you in any way, shape or form? <clears throat> I think... Yeah, in in, so, in some extent. So, for instance, I'll, I'll just give you a small example. Give me an example, yeah. All right. Okay, so this is a tiny example, but it's the kind of mm-hmm. thing that people will face every day. Uh, I did the school run this morning. Uh, the motorway was shut, all right? Mm-hmm. So getting to school, the, the children were late at school, fair enough. Coming back, the motorway was still shut. Now, I knew I had to be back in time to talk to you. Um, so I couldn't do anything about the traffic uh really um okay but the situation was still there so actually what i did do is i got google maps out and came a different way around it took me an hour to get home but i made it so i had to do something about that i couldn't just ignore it otherwise we wouldn't be having this chat that is a perfect example of the zone of power so we look at what you did okay let's draw the zone of power so the traffic was completely outside of your control the fact the motorway was shut was outside of your control. So you could have sat there getting really cross and upset that the motorway was shut and outside your control. Uh, you know, what was in your zone of power? In your zone of power was planning a different route, checking the traffic before you leave, emailing me to say, Rachel, I think I'm going to be late. Let's see how, let's see how we, can, we can do this. So you focused on the things that you could do, not the things that you couldn't do. Yeah, okay. And that's where you become much more powerful and productive. So people say, I can't do anything about the weather. You're right. If, if I have a outing plan, particularly in the UK, and the only thing that's going to make it okay is if it's sunny. Well, that's really stressful. I have no control over if it's sunny or not. What do I have control of? Well, I have control of contingency plans. What do I do if it's not sunny? I have control over making sure everybody has an umbrella, perhaps, and making sure that we have a wet weather option. So those are the things that I can control, I can do, but just getting stressed about whether it's sunny or not, nothing I can do about it. So when you use the zone of power, what happens is that situations that seem like you're completely powerless, there's nothing you can do about it. Suddenly there becomes things that you can do about it. And that's where you can help people get really unstuck. So if someone's in a job, you know, I'm powerless, it's all awful, everything's dreadful, they're doing this, you know, absolutely, that might be it. But actually, what is there that you could do? Is there anything in your zone of power that you can do? Because you can do that. And suddenly you start thinking, oh, yeah, I do have more control than I think, than I think I did. All right. No, that that sounds like a a useful thing. what what else would you tell a kind of a, a, a stress medic who's kind of <laughs> falling apart in front of you? Yeah, so there, there's lots of different things. So first one is the zone of power, and one of the things that you can control in the zone of power is is your working week. So lots of people say I have absolutely no control about when I work and when I don't work. Actually, I think we sometimes have more control over that than than we think we do. Because I think a lot of people just try and cram far too much into their week, 
far too much into their lives. And one thing we have control over is, is what we say yes and what we say no to. And so we get people to plan out what a current working week looks like. You literally get a, a diary and, and if it helps, I can give you a link, a link for people to download this tool um, where you just sort of write down everything you do, all the activities you do over a usual week. Um, and then you get an ideal week and you plot down what would an ideal week look like for me here? And then you, you literally compare the two and go, what's the difference between the two of these? Okay, am I putting in time to look after myself? Am I putting in some rest breaks? And thinking, what would I need to do myself to move from that, that state to this state? In fact, I did this with somebody I was, I was coaching, a very busy doctor who had three or four different roles. And this is what we find doctors tend to do, <laughs> particularly GPs. They maybe a partner in a practice and then they have a role as an appraiser or they have a role as the clinical lead for dermatology or things like that and in hospitals doctors have several different roles which they try and fit into the week and this person i was coaching said i just want to be able to have one afternoon off where i can sort of think and do some preparation so we plotted out what this person was doing it turned out they were working uh, if, if you actually put down every all the time everything took them they're working 13 sessions you know, that's six and a half days a week. So immediately they can go, okay, well, of course I'm not getting a day off. Which of these roles do I need to cut down on or, or say no to? What do I need to drop in order that I can then focus much more on these roles, which are more important to me? And once you start doing that, you'll realize that actually there's quite a lot in life that we probably need to eliminate because I really subscribe to the sort of essentialism philosophy. And this was a fantastic book by a chap called Greg McEwen. And the strap line of um, essentialism, in, well, in my head, is doing fewer things but better. Mm -hmm. And in essentialism, they say, you know, you can do anything. And most people, you, know, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And you do have to make a choice. In life, we cannot possibly do everything we want to do. We can't do everything at work that we want to do. We're going to miss out on 99.9999% of all experiences there are in the world because we are finite. We don't have that much time. Again, another book, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Fantastic book. 4,000 weeks is how long most of us have on the planet. Give or that's take. it. That's, that's your allocated time, is it? What do you get? That's, yeah. <laughs> Not, Not long, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So you've got to make the most of the time you've got, which means probably not caring quite so much about those things that we think are really, really important, giving ourselves time to do the things that are important and focusing a little bit more on happiness, meaning, purpose, rather than just being on the treadmill all the time. Right. Interesting, because I mean, most of the people you deal with kind of must know this in their heart of hearts. They must kind of know this. But... Why do, why do you think, and I'm sure most people know this, but why do you think we all forget it? Or we, we you know, because lots of people live like they don't know this. What do they need? They just need a bit of a kick or what? what what's wrong with us? I think there's a few things wrong. I wouldn't, say it's, I wouldn't say it's things that are wrong with us. I just think that there are ways in which we're hardwired. And we're hardwired to want to please other people. And that mm -hmm. is a very existential thing for us because the amygdala which is a bit of our brains which detects a threat will detect a physical threat so are you going to be eaten by a bear it will detect a hierarchical threat you know am, am, am i going to be challenged by the alpha male it will also detect a group threat so 
when we lived in caves, if we upset the group, we would be kicked out of the tribe, we'd probably be eaten by a lion or die of exposure or both. So not upsetting people, fitting in, pleasing people, being liked by people, not failing, that's really important to us. In fact, we experience conflict or upsetting people as an existential threat, the same as if we were going to be eaten by a lion. And so when our amygdala detects those threats, it puts us into our fight, flight or freeze stress zone where we've got a lot of adrenaline racing around. We don't make very good decisions. And so a lot of what we are driven by is by what other people tell us to do or whatever other people want us to do. And we find it very hard to say no to things or say, I'm not accepting that. That's not right because we fear rejection. We feel we'll feel right. pe we fear people's disapproval. So I think a lot of people are driven by that fear. And even when you try to put boundaries in, and this is a big problem with doctors in that we know what our boundaries should be. We know we need to take breaks. We need a lunch break that after 10 hours work, you're, you're no good for anything. But when we try and enforce those boundaries, that has consequences. People might be upset with you, not like it. And then we cave because we go, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Okay. And then we feel dreadful and think that the boundaries haven't worked. Well, it's not the boundaries haven't worked. The boundaries have worked. <laughs> the fact that people are a bit upset means the boundaries have worked. But then we can't cope with the consequences because deep down we're telling ourselves these stories in our head that I should be available all the time. Oh. I should be doing this. I ought to. And we're operating from a place of fear rather than, okay, I'm choosing to do this because of this. And I think this is endemic, endemic in doctors and it's probably endemic in the population. And so we end up just being driven by other people's agendas rather than our own agenda. Because many of us haven't sat down to think and plan. What is it what, that we want from life and work? And is it that we just work as hard as we can to get to the top of our ladder in whatever career we've chosen only to realize that we're at the top of one ladder only there's another bigger ladder next to us, which you then sure, have to sure. hop on and go up. Um, there's, there's quite a lot of talk of large companies realising this now and getting it that their staff are actually their, their most important thing. Uh, and I, I've spoken to you know quite a few people that either run large companies or work looking after the staff of large companies. And you know they, they do seem to be getting it currently and covid actually seems to have given that a bit of a kick this, yeah this might be kind of a bit of a another difficult question possibly unfair question but do you think the nhs is getting that currently or yeah i do right because that's that's quite important it's really important so the nhs has realized and i think they were realizing it before because so many people were leaving even before covid they are realising that the health and well-being of their workforce are, is really, really, really important. The problem is, is that the, the systems in which healthcare professionals work are not really um, set up for the health and well-being of their of their people. You know, there are some places where people work where they don't even get tea and coffee. They can't get food when they're on a night shift. They're getting parking fines for going and doing extra shifts during COVID. All these things, which are just like extraordinary and so people know that it's important but the problem and, and they are providing more resources and more things so there's loads of stuff out there there's loads of absolutely fantastic resources out there but the problem is and there's been lots of reports that have reported this is that the workload currently is so high that 
healthcare professionals are finding it very difficult to take the time to access those wellbeing resources or the headspace to even think about some of these things. So I, for a long time now, have realized that the biggest barrier to wellbeing for you know, healthcare professionals, I'm sure lots of other professionals, is not that they don't know what to do, is that they don't have the time in the headspace in which to do it. Right. And so it's very, very urgent that people are, are given that. But the problem is the workload has gone up and partly that is driven by the exponential patient demand that we are seeing at the moment. So yes, the, 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 well, the leaders- you, that, you, mean, you, know, just, you mean because of COVID, do you? Yeah, I mean, patients were, you know, patient demand was was high anyway, but it's gone up hugely since COVID, even from pre-pandemic proportions. Um, and people expect, quite rightly, expect a lot from their healthcare professionals and get very upset when the healthcare professionals can't provide what they need. But unfortunately, the healthcare professionals are working at 110% of capacity. And there was a report from the House of Commons, actually chaired by Jeremy Hunt quite recently, that came out which said that the problem is at the moment is about discretionary workload in the NHS. Um, and we don't see how much extra work healthcare professionals do. And actually they acknowledged in this report that if, if people working in the NHS stopped working over and above what they were supposed to, the whole system would collapse because the system works because people are doing overtime and they are putting their life and soul into providing the service. The problem is, I think it's a bit like a sponge, you can go on absorbing excess workload, but once the sponge is saturated, it just that's when it sort of then then stops. stops and suddenly you know suddenly you notice the problem. And I think we are suddenly beginning to really notice the problem of okay. of workload. So, I mean, with, with that in mind, do, do do you and people like you work directly for the NHS? Are they are, are they hospitals turning around saying, right, we need someone like Rachel to come in now? Yeah, I do a lot of uh, keynote talks at conferences, various different doctors. I work with, you know, GP training hubs, providing training for, for GPs, re return to practice courses, lots of different, yeah, lots of different NHS organisations I do sort of teaching and speaking for. Okay, good. Well, during the, the, the um, COVID, I, I, I've, been, I've been healthy, I'm relatively healthy. Okay? I haven't had COVID. I, I have had to contact my GP and actually uh, it was via a, a telephone consultation and I found the whole process was um, really good actually it suited me very well and you know I, I wasn't that ill you know um, but I, I found the system very very good and I I, I don't quite understand to some extent it, it upsets me a bit actually all this GP bashing which is going on seems a bit unfair are you having a lot of gps coming to you because presumably you know you get them because you, you were one do you help a lot of gps yeah a lot of gps and this gp bashing is causing a lot of distress amongst gps because they are bending over backwards they could they are doing as much as they possibly can they're running the vaccination programs they are dealing with a you know a, a they're dealing with all their staff being off sick as well, right? Because yes. GPs are getting COVID, their staff are getting COVID. So they're running this service. Patient demand has gone up and they're having problems recruiting. So it's this sort of double whammy of workload and demand only to be insinuated that they are being lazy, that they're not open. I have a GP colleague who had just examined a patient. The patient was putting their shirt on and the patient turned around to him and said, when are you going to open and start seeing patients? 
Um, and so there are certain branches of the media that seem to be peddling this idea that GPs aren't open and they're not seeing patients. They're 100% open. They're seeing more people than they ever have been. Yes, they're seeing people in different ways. Like you said, on that, there's a lot more telephone consultations and stuff. But personally, I find that brilliant. Like you said, it's I love being able to phone my GP and not having to go down and wait in the waiting room for, for half an hour or whatever. Um, but it, it it's changing. And, and I think COVID accelerated that change. You know, many GPs were going to phone video consultations anyway. But mm. that what we had to do in the pandemic just accelerated that. And so, yes, it, we, we have to see people in, 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 in new and different ways to be able to cope with the demand of the new ways of doing things. And largely, by and large, they are working really well. But of course, there are some patients that don't like the new ways of, of being seen or, or it's more it's harder for them to access. And so no. that that needs to be that needs to be worked out. But the GPs are absolutely doing their best in a very, very hard situation. And I and I think they need a little bit of um just acceptance and, and encouragement that, you know, thank you so much for forgetting to me when we know that half of your staff are down as well. And, you know, I know most of my GP colleagues, they're working 12, 13, 14 hour days at the moment. And, and that, and that is usual. I have never seen the stress level as high as it is. At the no, moment. So I have a lot of sympathy uh, for GPs. You mentioned different ways of, of working. How about uh, for what you do? Do you help people kind of on Zoom online or is it face to face? Yes, it's interesting you said that, you know, when COVID hit, I was suddenly, what do I do? Because all my training had been mainly face to face. Um, but, you know, um, luckily, you know, this pandemic hit us in an era where we can get on Zoom and, you know, we can do do things online. So it's marvellous. We're talking now. I can see you really well. We're, 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 we're face to face. You know, 15 years ago, that that wouldn't have happened, would it? So, yeah, all my training then had to go online um and and on zoom so i still do almost exactly the same obviously adapted for the online environment but it's really nice i think you can have really great sessions on zoom you have really great live sessions and i've also been able to put a lot of my stuff online as recorded courses and we have memberships and things like that so yeah i've had to pivot i think just like almost every single other organization you know in right. the world has had to but you're, you're finding it's working you know you can you can, you can manage yeah, actually, it's working really well because before, you know, if I was going to go and do a talk up in Scotland, that would have taken a day out of my diary to go and do an hour long talk. But now I can just jump on Zoom. We can do it. We're finding particularly healthcare professionals because they are so busy. It's a lot easier for them just to dial into a, a meeting mm -hmm. for an hour than having to sort of go to a local training venue or whatever. So I think there are lots of advantages, but you can't beat the face to face stuff. And no. I think teams oh. are really suffering from being hybrid online and, and not being able to get together in person. So I don't think the virtual thing replaces the in-face person-to-person stuff at all. Tell me, we, we've spoken about uh, medics uh, a fair bit. What other professions have you found that your experience as, as, kind of, as, as a GP has been transferable and what other professions can you help? Well, I think it's it's not really particular professions I think it's sort of types of people really I think it's people that are in very knowledge-based industries that maybe have been promoted to positions of leadership and management because of their knowledge of their subjects uh, so we're talking about people lawyers and accountants and people who uh, you know 
um, maybe in publishing, things like that. And then they have to manage people as well. And they have quite a lot of tight deadlines. So their people are very busy having to churn out the work for the clients and stuff, but they're also having to manage and lead and they're not quite sure how to do that. And they're finding that their teams are starting to sort of have, have, have a few problems, maybe problems with communication, some people going off sick with stress and burnout. So, so it's really professionals working in, in high stress jobs that I tend to um, focus on helping people work in all, all sorts of places, all sorts of industries. And I do get lots of feedback from the podcast. So the podcast is to help sort of professionals beat burnout and work happier. And I've had all sorts of people, you know, of course we get a lot of doctors listening, but there's, you know, I get feedback from architects and um, other healthcare professionals, such as sort of dentists and nurses. And um, yeah, so, so all sorts of people really, it's really for, the work is really for people that want to be able to choose how they take control of their their working lives um, and also take a bit more of a, a coaching approach with their teams because we do focus on that for leaders and managers um, because I find that doctors, you know, we like to tell people what to do and give advice. That's what we've been trained for. <laughs> but when it comes to it, and particularly leading a manager team, actually just giving people advice doesn't really work very well. So we talk about how to take a coaching approach and getting out of the rescuer role where you're constantly feeling incredibly responsible for everybody and moving more into a coaching role where you're helping other people solve their own problems. So that sort of stuff I find is really, really powerful with teams. All right, good. Let, let's just move on. Um, for a, a moment, talk about your podcast, which, uh, you know, it sounds great. Well, it's got a great name. You are not a frog. Um, what sort of people do you, uh, do you get on that? Who, who was the last person or the last, an interesting, fun chat you had on that recently? Ooh. Oh, well, the last person I had um, was a career development coach who also used to be a GP called Dr. Claire Kay. And she, um, we were talking about success and what your definition of success is. So, you know, lots of people, particularly in my profession, you think that success is going to be, you know, I don't know, senior partner in a GP practice. And then you get there and you think, okay, outwardly, I look very successful. I don't feel very successful because, (laughs) you know, I spend all my life at work and I'm not enjoying things very much. So it's actually helping people think, what is their own definition of success? How do they define that? And then how do they, how do they reach that? So that's, that's one thing we've done. We do quite a lot about stress and anxiety and that story in your head, you know, just noticing what, what the story you're telling yourself, you know, the I oughts, I shoulds, how do you do, how do you change that? We do quite a lot on time management because that, like I said, we, well, people in the NHS feel that they have no time. So actually what are the hacks that we can do? How can you manage your focus and attention a bit more? Are there any useful things that we can do? And a lot of that again is about choosing when you check your emails, choosing not to work just before you go to sleep, choosing what you say yes and no to having a lot more boundaries around it. So those are the sorts of things we cover. Okay. It's, it, no, it, it sounds like um, a, a great show. Like it could be useful to many people. Where, where can people uh, listen to that? Uh, all the normal so you, places or? All the normal places, iTunes, Spotify, all those sorts of things. You can also have a look at the website, which is youarenotafrog.com. So can check it out. And it really is applicable to to many, many people. Get lots of people, uh, doctors emailing and going, thank you for your podcast. I'm making my husband listen to it. (laughs) He's not a doctor, but actually he's made a lot of changes too. So, so yeah. And I'm always looking for guests as well. So if anyone's got some useful tips and 
things to share, then please get in touch with me. So I, I just love right. talking to lots and, of different and people. In the same sort of vein, if people have been listening to this and thinking, yeah, all right, I think I could do with some help from Rachel or, you know, my business, my department, whatever, could do with some input. How can people get hold of you, contact you? What's the best thing to do? You can contact me through the podcast um, on the podcast webpage. You can contact me at my email address, rachel at shapestoolkit.com. You can check out shapestoolkit.com, which is the website about the training. Um, yeah, and you can also, if you want to sign up on the mailing list through the podcast website, and we send out regular emails with resources about thriving at work, particularly for professionals in high stress jobs. Excellent. I'm well, also on. I'm also on Twitter yeah. at Dr. Rachel Morris. There we are. So yeah, that's where you can. That's a good place to contact me too, or LinkedIn. All right. Very fine. Rachel, thank you very much indeed uh, for chatting this morning. I think you know, in the current times, people need to start taking this thing a lot more seriously. So I, I think that should help many. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. A big thank you to my guests on this week's show, and they were marathon runner Paula Radcliffe and podcast host. Rachel Morris, and of course, thank you to you for listening. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again next time.